Hello and welcome to the Heart of the Piano podcast where we are exploring the world of piano. In this episode, I'll be bringing you my experience of the 2021 Leeds International Piano Competition known informally as The Leeds and exploring some of the wider issues that competition in music brings up. This is really on everyone's minds at the moment, uh, not just because of the leads, but also because uh, literally just yesterday uh, we had the finals, uh, the, the winner of the Chopin competition announced. So this is really on everyone's minds. So some of my favourite pianists have been finalists of the leads in past years. And in fact, the competition was one of the main factors in launching the careers of famous names such as Murray Pariah, Radu Lupu, Andras Schiff, Mitsuko Uchida, Dmitry Alexeyev, Ilya Itin, Artur Pissarro, Catherine Stott, Noriko Ogawa, Louis Lorty, Boris, uh, Boris Beresovsky, Vladimir Ovchinikov, and many more, many more household names in the world of classical pianists. Uh, it does seem to come as a huge shock to most people in Leeds that there is a regular local event happening every three years that is regarded as one of the most important events in the international world of professional piano. Uh, it's really like a, a huge, well-kept secret that, that most Leeds people just don't know about. But don't just take my word for it. During the competition, I asked some of the competitors why they had entered the Leeds. This is what Alim Bezimbayev said, who went on to become the winner. Well, first of all, the, I guess the name, it's one of the top, the very top piano competitions in, in, uh, in the top three or five, or I don't know how many, but very, very top competition. There are many competitions in the world right now. Um, but, and with it being in, in the country I live as well, that, that's, um, it's something I wanted to do for, for, for a while, actually. And Elisaveta Kluchereva, who was in the semi-finals. Ah, well, it was my childhood dreams. I really wanted to take part in this uh, competition because it's one of the mainest competitions, you know, and uh, it's a, a big history. This competition has a big history and uh, also uh, um, my teacher won this competition. Really? My yeah, Vladimir Ravchinikov. Oh, right. In 1987, teacher, wow. I guess, yeah. And uh, it's really uh, like all history is wonderful, like Radulupo, Raipiraya, and uh, uh, some Russians, uh, Anna Tsibulova, Eric Lou, which I really loved so much and really looking forward to come to his concert on 16. Mm, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, and I really wanted to, to take part in this competition, even last competition, but I was not um, enough age, you know, okay, and yeah. I got a mail like from the competition that you are too young, so maybe next competition you should try, and I, I was waiting for this, <laughs> and yeah, it's just dreams, you know, mm. yeah. <laughs> and Ariel Lanyi, who was the third prize winner, well, uh, among pianists, it's well known how prestigious the competition is, and um, I, I wanted to uh, throw my hat in the ring and see how, how I fare. And semi-finalist Priscilla Navarro. I think every competition has a profile of the winners that have historically um, been in the competition. And for Leeds, it always... There are more than just brilliant pianists. They're usually intellectual and very sensitive. And 
many of them have gone on to have careers uh, with that reputation. And that's what I really aim for. So I've always wanted to do it. And I think that this time I was finally ready for it. A topic that's bound to come up in the review of a major music competition is about the controversy of whether musicians should take part in competitions and about whether we should take them seriously. There are plenty of people who very rigidly think that competitions for musicians are a very bad thing to be avoided. I personally think they can be a useful challenge for musicians, as long as the challenge is how to be deeply musical under pressure, rather than get caught up in being too serious about competition and ego. This is a skill all professional musicians need to learn at some point or another. Ultimately, we can't really say that one amazing musician is better than another one, and personal subjective taste is going to vary enormously. I enjoyed chatting to people sitting near me at every stage of the competition, and it's always interesting to see just how almost every single performance can generate such a wide array of feelings and opinions. I played devil's advocate to ask those same competitors we heard from before if they thought piano competitions were psychologically unhealthy. You'll hear from Priscilla, then Ariel, then Alim, and then Elisaveta. I think uh, there is a side that is, it is intense and that's undeniable. It's a, a very unique experience. And I think all of us, I mean, all my colleagues, are experiencing some of that fatigue from, even though we've only played twice, it's just so much energy and your mind is focused on that, you know, but I think it's a chance to see how you would perform in the classical concert scene, Mm -hmm. because much of being a classical musician is like that. And if your goal is to be performing, then you need to get used to some of that uh, intense expectation that there is on many of us. So do you mean like a sense of being judged? Yes, (laughs) yes. And I think, well, in this particular case, I have to say, I don't think I've ever been in a friendlier group of pianists. It's just been really supportive and there isn't any sensation of threat which often is at competitions and um yeah it's been a really wonderful experience Mm. and wish all of my colleagues the best but i think that some competitions it depends on the way it's run it can be made into an enriching experience definitely Uh, are there particular things about this particular competition that's helped create that atmosphere do you think I think the fact that the aims are solely musical, that we're not any of us trying to put ourselves on the podium to be glorified, but we're trying to find whoever deserves to be promoted the most, I guess. And so the central focus is music. And that makes it um, something that we can all join in. Mm. And that's very, very healthy. Mm. And then the fact that um, I don't think we, we don't feel like any of us are wishing anybody else not to pass or not to do well. We're just hoping to each one 
do our best. Mm -hmm. There's something about the history of the competition that contributes to that environment. And I think it's very special and wonderful. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not a straightforward uh, question. I think, I think there's a lot of truth in that statement. Uh, I, I, I cannot say I disagree. I just think that under the right circumstances, uh, at least from my experience, competitions did psychologically help me and that they reminded me really of what matters. And the next time I played real concerts, I, I just felt such a sense of relief, uh, and, and desire to, to go on stage and to share myself and to be generous with, with, with the audience. So, in, in that sense, I think, uh, I think competitions could have a good effect. And of course, it doesn't matter whether you, whether you win or whether you don't win. Uh, I, I, I just think it depends very much on, um, on the person and on the time that you decide to enter some of these competitions. Um, I definitely wouldn't, recommend to compete for the sake of competing. I think that's, I think that is psychologically harmful. Yeah. I think one must have a, a very clear, uh, idea of what one can get from it, even if one doesn't win. And, uh, and, and to have prospects for, for what happens after the competitions. And the competition isn't the beginning and the end of, of, of what you do at any given time. There is some truth in that, um, but I think it's wise to say that you shouldn't enter if you didn't think you, you can handle it. Mm -hmm. And um, because nowadays it's just the exposure that's that's worth <laughs> the the psychological struggle. Sometimes it's because uh, the expo exposure is immense and it's wonderful. Yeah. Um, but yes, competitions are a sort of, and so lots of people say this, and I agree that it's an unnecessary evil. Probably, yeah. Well, I I like competitions. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and it's uh, yes. Sometimes uh, it's probably psychological, not good. But um, in every competition, you get um, experience. You know, and you grow up, and uh, and you have opportunity to play on stage. Sometimes it's recorded, and then you uh, get a, a great uh, quality recording, like here in Medici. You know, mm -hmm. and uh, sometimes there are some competition where you can play with orchestra, and it's also wonderful because, uh, um, for example, in Moscow where I live, there are not so many opportunities to play. Um, on really? stages, yes. So, um, like with me. orchestra also. And, um, we pianists try to find some competitions, maybe, um, in Russia or somewhere in China. Uh, and, um, there are a lot of competitions where you can play solo and with orchestra. So it's really wonderful. And I, I really suggest pianists to take part in these competitions because every time you go on stage and you get experience and maybe it helps you not to, to be so nervous when you play often, you know, on stages and you feel comfortable, like you play the concert. So 
I think it's it's a good experience competitions. Yeah. I also spoke to Yu Zhang Li over the phone. Uh, she was one of my favorite semi-finalists uh, once the competition was over, and I asked her the same question. Yeah. Um, yes, it's unhealthy, but if you view it uh, in a different perspective, well, it becomes more more interesting. For me, <laughs> uh, obviously, I didn't win. Um, if I focus on the winning or losing side of this competition, I would be very upset. But yeah. um, I actually improved uh, improved a lot uh, through the competition. You know, you know, focusing on a competition does not mean that you you really want to win or lose. You, which also means that you focus on your repertoire and you practice days and nights. You really put all the love and dedication to it. And that's how you make progress so fast. I think it's also a means for uh, making progress in a very short period. Because normally, yeah. if you don't have competition, and you're studying the academy in the conservatory, you're just doing routine jobs. You don't have that, you don't feel that kind of tense uh, you don't feel that you you have to you unavoidably have to to put all the all your energy into one piece and you have to refine it you have to improve it um, you have to do everything you can to to do to to better interpret this piece in normal in normal life you don't have that kind of mindset but in competition uh, you have so I think that's why. I think competition has good sides, but of of course it's unhealthy because um, its nature is to compete. Otherwise, it won't mm-hmm. call it won't be called as competition. Mm-hmm. And music is very difficult to compare between music. You know, yeah, you have to like horse racing. It's not like that. So. <laughs> So already we've started to hear some very warm comments about how this competition in particular creates good experiences for the competitors. And the Leeds does pride itself on quite a few things that make it unique. But I might be a little bit biased. I went to Leeds University where all the rounds apart from the concerto finals are held. And I remember being absolutely dazzled many moons ago by the stratospheric talent when I was still very fresh to the world of classical piano. But also, I had an amazing piano teacher, Benjamin Frith, who in two separate years had taken part in this competition, and who was a student of Fanny Waterman, who of course founded the Leeds and was its chair and artistic director until the age of 95, only relinquishing the reins in 2019 to Paul Lewis and Adam Gatehouse. Uh, By the way, you can listen to an interview with Adam Gatehouse from Heart of the Piano back in 2019. The link will be in the show notes. So anyway, I feel like I have strong connections to this competition. Even in 2019, when she was uh, at the age of 98, I remember Dame Fanny's very energetic presence at every single event in the competition, always sat in the front row. It was really strange and surreal not to see her this year. There's no doubt that it was her charisma and sheer strength of personality that made such a success of the lead. But when Paul Lewis and Adam Gatehouse took over as artistic directors in 2019, there was a fresh feeling of looking to the future of what an international piano competition could and should be. 
For example, the voting system was changed so that there could be no charges of nepotism or favoritism. The jurors are absolutely forbidden from discussing any of the competitors with each other, relying on the secret ballot system. This year's impressive selection of jurors included the artistic director Adam Gatehouse, who has a proven track record of discovering and nurturing classical music stars of tomorrow for the BBC, uh, and Dame Imogen Cooper as chair of the jury, and one of my favourite pianists, Stephen Osborne. There's a strong emphasis on the mentorship and career guidance that winners will receive as part of their prize. The Leeds has always been one of the most demanding competitions in terms of requiring a huge amount of repertoire in the search for the most fully rounded musician. In recent years, competitors need to supply two entirely different programmes for the second stage, which only gets decided by the jurors when the first round winners are announced. And then this is the same for the semi-finals, choosing two separate programmes which only get chosen when announcing who's gone through to the semi-finals, meaning some people only get a weekend's notice of what they're going to play for that round. And then again, the contestants have to specify two concerti, which the jurors choose for them at the last moment. This is a huge test of each competitor as a fully complete rounded musician who has what it takes to survive the tough world of concert pianism. And in 2019, a new challenge was added to the competition, which was to play with a chamber group or a company of violinist or cellist. Elisaveta here describes her experience of this in the semi-finals. For example, I've never played quintets. So it was also my first time playing quintets. And it's really wonderful that competition, Leeds competition, make this, um, um, you know, we, we prepare huge repertoires. Mm-hmm. So it's... It's also good for for the next, and uh, you get uh, a great experience. Yeah, 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 and almost to play with wonderful quartets, uh, they're really super. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How did yes. you enjoy that? that very, so. very much. You know, we had just few rehearsals, but we played, and just from the first or second time, we just found what we wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Oh, excellent. <laughs> So, before I give my personal opinions on my highlights of this year's competition, I have to talk about another aspect that makes it absolutely unique amongst all the top competitions, which is the emphasis on community engagement and education. Creative producers Dave Cartwright and Sam Beryl were in charge of this year's Leeds Piano Trail and Community Outreach, and their infectious enthusiasm and energy resulted in not only a huge visibility for the competition in the city that had previously been relatively unaware of its presence, but also played a vital role in reimagining the role of an elite classical music competition by democratising it and looking for ways to bring all communities together with the power of music. I spoke to Dave and Sam a few days after the competition had come to a close. But it is about shifting a culture as well. And, you know, we've started to see intrigue across the competition in the trail and likewise the audiences from the trail looking up to the competition. And I think that's not something that's going to change overnight. I think it is a slow and steady integration of the two. And and like I said, that, that changing of a culture takes those little steps. And I think, you know, we saw Alim, our, our winner of this year, come and play on the trail and, mm, you know, right. and, and some of, some of the other competitors did come down and play on the trail. And like I say, we've, we've really 
um, this year as an organization focused on how we nurture what that experience is for a competitor. And with that comes a shift in the perception of what the entire organization is as a whole. And I think as, as we continue, those separations are going to whittle away. And that in some respects, there are separations that will remain and should remain. And that's also for us to navigate and negotiate and see where the overlap makes sense and where it doesn't. But it is about that shifting the culture, which which is a journey and is a process, and also keeping hold of the heritage and the tradition of what a piano competition is and not kind of bombarding it with things that, that would change it too much away from what has made it into um, one of the world-leading piano competitions. Mm-hmm. So it, it is that fine line of... of finding the balance between between the two but i think our journey of integrating the two has really really been successful this year and and will continue to be something that we as an organization look at and continue to challenge and and unpick and and put back together in new and exciting ways yeah i think that also Dave mentioned it about being world leading there. Like the Leeds is as a, as a competition around the world, uh, as a competition. And I think that idea of what the culture of what Dave was saying of a competition, we have the ability to challenge that now in, in 2021 and looking forward to 2024 and further. And you say, right, there is a fine line between that, but also to recognize as an organization, we're called the Leeds. First and foremost, we're not the Leeds International Piano Competition. I think that gets put a lot of onus on this thing that happens every three years that people get to see. There's an awful lot of work that's happening in the three-year cycle up to the competition. And the piano trail and the competition sit together over a two- to three-week period. But there's everything that's running through the three years up to that point. Yes, we celebrate a a, a winner at a period of time, and then their career carries on after that. But also, these competitors aren't competing against each other. They're so drilled into what they're wanting to be as a concert pianist or as a pianist um, that the community within the competition is so friendly and so open it this this year more than ever perhaps and I think that is testament to what the organization is trying to do in that three-year period and it is trying to challenge these ideas of what competitions are nowadays and and I think Hopefully in the future, you know, we can continue to lead across the piano world anyway of going, you know, how does that work? How does that make sense? What, what does work? What doesn't work? What should and shouldn't be taken forward? And Dave is totally right. There is a heritage and a history that is important to celebrate and cherish, but also there's the other side of, what what society is what it is and how that's moving forward and seeing how they blend together you know there's nothing greater than to sit in that concert hall in the town hall and watch a concerto performed uh, three concertos in a row if you came on friday and then two on the saturday like that is a magical moment that doesn't need bastardized by certain cultural trends that maybe may or may not be happening now but it, it's not about that. I think it's about opening the doors and allowing 
ownership to everyone and anyone who would like to be part of that you know classical music's not for everyone that's not a problem you know but we, we don't want to close the door on you if that's the case come and have a conversation with us and understand uh where we sit with that or otherwise let, help us understand why it isn't your thing and why rap or or pop or heavy metal and all these things you that ultimately spanned out of like the the fundamentals of what we see as classical music i'm doing the you know air quote, air quote there uh is because they all are interlinked like fashion comes around music comes around as well and, and i think we're here to have conversations and to learn because without those conversations, without learning, we can never understand how the culture of what a competition should and could and would be take place. Mm. And and that's why the Piano Trail has been so fascinating because we've been having a conversation with the city for a variety of different ways, through a variety of different ways, through its to the, the people of the city, to organisations within the city, businesses of the city. And how we place ourselves within the centre of that is really important. But how other people recognise us is also as, as important. This piano trail had at its heart 10 playable pianos in public places, decorated by Leeds artists and communities, together with 10 sculptures commissioned from Pianodrome, whose amazing uh, amphitheatre made entirely from upcycled pianos I personally caught at the 2018 Edinburgh Festival. Like their amphitheatre, all the sculptures in Leeds were made from piano parts and were certainly very striking and quite the talking point of Leeds. But I can't begin to do justice to the huge programme of events and activities that were part of this piano trail. For example... There was a group of very high-level piano students who had the role of young ambassadors. They played these public pianos, went into schools, and generally brought as much classical piano as possible to the general public. Free 20-minute lessons were available to the public. 73 people made the most of this opportunity. There were musical night walks, a talk on the link between nature and music, uh, which had a conservatoire piano student improvising, uh, responding to the environment in the park. There was yoga for kids with piano accompaniment and public interviews with community leaders who chose their favourite music that a conservatoire piano student played. And as well as the piano trail, there are also outreach projects in schools um, that happen in the three years in between each competition. Dave here tells us a bit about the public uh, the public reception to the piano trail. The piano trail has really reached all sectors of our community, which is really beautiful. Um, and I think that's partly due to the fact it was out and open and in the streets. And so, yeah, we had we had a message from um, the homeless community who were thanking us for the music and for at the end of the day, we're putting these pianos in there in their homes, you know, uh, in their spaces. There's a um, little note left on the piano, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, again, thanking for what, what we were putting into the city. And then we had from people of, who have come from Sheffield, from Brighton, from just to walk the trail. Uh, we had uh, from the school's carousel, one of the teachers saying that she got back to school and the, uh, the student shouted this was the best trip ever and all the students kind of uh, played a log as if they were playing uh, a classical piano concerto um you know the the feedback has been incredible and and i think that's testament to again the 
the citywide investment. Uh, I don't mean investment financially. I mean investment in terms of the heart yeah. that that has gone into this from businesses, from community groups, from artists, from schools, from the council, from uh, Leeds Bid, from the university, from uh, that has all, that has all fed into that energy. This year's winner of the Leeds, Alim Besembayev, shares a passion for as many people to enjoy classical music as possible. When I interviewed the contestants, um, I had asked them all what they hoped for the future, and, and I'd meant their future as individuals, but Alim replied beautifully with his hopes for classical music in general. I, I hope that uh, growth and love for classical music keeps expanding and you know, people talk about the decline in the audience and it is my concern and I hope that that it doesn't happen and then that it's sort of appreciated mm. much more um, in the future than I feel it could be now. Yeah. yeah it's I, I find it very depressing how almost everyone at classical concerts is old. Do you do you find that, that? Yes, yeah, and it makes me really happy sometimes in when I when I see lots of young people. But um, but sometimes you can feel the appreciation much more from uh, some of the elderly audience. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you think classical music has a bit of an image crisis, a bit of an image problem? I I've been immersed in classical music for so long that I don't really see it. <laughs> um, and most of my friends are musicians, so I, I, I don't know what non-musicians, how they view classical music as, as, mm. as if it's something unattainable. Or, I don't know, but mm. it shouldn't be. And and people, some people are doing, I think it's great that Leeds is doing the piano trail and introducing the piano to... I didn't want to say ordinary people, but uh, <laughs> non-musicians, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting that when I asked Yu Zhang about classical audiences in China, she described a very different scene to what we see here in Europe. Yeah, it's indeed very... Classical music is very, very popular now in China, especially when you enter a concert hall, an opera house. Um, the audience are mostly young people. And um, you, mm. you are very. It's very difficult to see old people among them. It's very interesting mm. because it's completely opposite in the Europe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there was also the Leeds Pub Piano Competition, which offered a much-needed break from the sheer intensity of the classical side of things, which could be absolutely mentally exhausting after so many concentrated hours every day. This event, although it sounds like it could be silly and superficial, actually has a long-standing history with the main classical event. And I do remember reading stories about a well-known member of the jury escaping off and taking part in the pub event one year. It's a massive, massive shame that this year it seemed to be run by members of the council who made almost no attempt to publicise it and seem to have really put a half-hearted effort into organising it. If you try and look up even who won it this year, uh, which happened to have been someone called Carl Mullen, it's quite the challenge to even find that information. So I do hope that the next um, pub piano competition will be run with a bit more love and care. 
So one of the jurors uh, of the pub piano competition, the highly respected jazz musician Claire Teal, talks here about the importance of this event. And we were talking about the history of pub piano and how, you know, not that long ago, every pub had a piano and, you know, there were sing-alongs and it was like the glue that brought everybody together um, towards the end of the evening, you know, and um, pretty magical time. So the fact that, you know, that, that Leeds is reviving this tradition is, is wonderful and to be celebrated and encouraged. You know, we've had a youngster here, 14 years old. Uh, that's just wonderful. You know, it really is. It's, it, it's, it represents everybody. The lovely thing about people making music together is, you know, now, especially in lockdown, I think we've, we've become so um, locked in, you know, <laughs> but, but, but kind of mentally as well. And it's like, you know, we, because we've been missing the social interaction. And I think looking back at how people used to enjoy their music, they, they would be in a pub drinking and listening to the pianist and having a natter. They wouldn't be on their phones. They wouldn't be distracted a million other ways. It was literally a sharing thing, a real kind of, you know, families, friends, uh, celebrating, you know, weddings, christenings, funerals, you know, bringing people together. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, they had it right, didn't they, really? Instead of just sitting around looking at a box in the corner, to be actually standing around one that made beautiful music wasn't such a bad idea. Yeah, oh, oh my God, here, here, here. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> And before we return to the highbrow classical event, I'll treat you all to a few clips of pub piano playing. Here's Kieran Russell, the 14-year-old that Claire referred to. Uh, the first contestant is Kieran Russell. Um, we should get him in first because he's 14 years old, his parents are here with him, and it's a school night, so he probably needs to get home and be back in time for school tomorrow. Uh, so can we ask Kieran to come up to the, the piano? Kieran, um, Kieran plays um, some classical music and some pop, and he's done um, fundraising events in uh, hospitals and raised quite a lot of money for cancer, thousands of pounds, all good stuff. And so, you're ready at the piano? Give it a go when you're ready. Kieran. Adam Sauter here shows us that pub piano can be educational. And you put them together and you get this. 
and the winner, Kalmal and here, combines the world of classical and boogie. So, I'll now share some of my highlights, which you can watch and listen to either on Medici's website or on YouTube. I will put links in the show notes. Of course, these are all just my subjective opinions, and it's always a little bit of a different experience when you're there in person listening live. But do leave some comments to say who your favourites were, and if you massively agree or disagree with my opinions. So, I will try to keep things brief by sharing some of the bullet points that I wrote down as notes when I was listening live at the concerts. Now, right from the first round, I was really impressed by Kaito Kabayashi. He played Bartok in the concerto finals. That, that one I wasn't quite so keen on. But in the first round, I really enjoyed his Haydn, which I wrote was exquisite and oozing character and love. Very well structured. Superb phrasing. In his second round, I loved the light and delicate left hand in the Mozart. Uh, structurally, almost like minimalism in places, but the structure present where it needed to be. Lovely trills. Um, I wrote that he absolutely nailed Debussy's faux d'artifice. Now, by the way, my French, my French pronunciations are going to be absolutely appalling. So please do forgive my, my, um, appalling ability to pronounce French. Um, basically Debussy's fireworks. Um, and then I put so many subtle nuances, but full of character and drama. The Schoenberg was so expressive, great programming, oozing character. Uh, I'm totally sold on this piece, which would normally leave me a bit cold. Uh, Kaito really communicated a Zen quality with all these pieces, a feeling of space and presence between the notes missing from most of the other contestants. Um, in his third round, his Schubert was very beautiful and refined, but I was starting to think that he's not so great at pieces which need darker, heavier emotions and drama. So, for example, I wasn't so keen on his Scarbo in round one and felt that most of his Debussy in round two suffered from too much clarity in all the notes, betraying a lack of ease outside the world of refined Haydn, Mozart and Schubert. His two choices of concertos, Bartok three and Beethoven one, also suggested an avoidance of deep emotional expression in styles beyond the classical era, making him a bit too much of a specialised performer, in my opinion, to be the fully rounded musician that a competition like the Leeds is searching for. Uh, and it was really exciting this year to have two British pianists, um, Tyler Hay and Thomas Kelly, who showed such a huge amount of potential. Um, Tyler's list in round one was phenomenal. Uh, I noted almost flawless, filled with deep moods and characters, very confident. But I felt that Tyler's choice in round two to play all of the Chopin Opus 10 etudes, um, I felt was a mistake at a point in the competition where the jury are really looking for not just technical chops, but deep musicianship and large-scale structure. In 2018, I do remember somebody got through to the semi-finals by playing the same Chopin etudes in round two, but I personally felt that this was against the spirit of communicating deep musicianship rather than flash uh, at that stage of the competition. 
Thomas Kelly actually got through to the final concerto round. But although, of course, we really wanted to support the British pianist in the competition, I do think many of us were surprised to see him get through to the finals after his semi-final performance, which saw a serious memory lapse uh, in his Chopin Barcarolle. And although his Liszt and Debussy in the semi-final had phenomenal technique, I personally felt there was a bit lacking in the areas of atmosphere, mood and expression. Um, maybe nerves, maybe pressure. But I did really enjoy his Beethoven cello sonata, which gave him a chance to just relax and enjoy the music that he was making a bit more. Thomas's second round performance was was strong. Uh, I'd not heard the Beethoven Fantasia in G minor, Opus 77 before. Uh, I wrote down, wow, what a piece of music. Loads of character and drama. Great performer, good ears, great tone, absorbing. Focus on drama, not the notes. Uh, and I was really enjoying his Scriabin uh, Fourth Sonata, which I wrote, reached more flow towards the end and beautifully built up to the climax. So um, uh, I, I thought perhaps his place in the finals was influenced by the potential that he'd shown in the second round and his musicality um, playing the chamber music. I was disappointed not to see Anfisa Bobilova get through to the semi-finals, although I can understand why her Chopin Second Sonata might have divided opinion, I was really intrigued by how she used incredibly nuanced and expressive shifts in tone and timbre to give structure and cohesion to her pieces, with perhaps a little less emphasis on the rhythm and harmony, which is more usual to give structure. I wrote in my notes immaculate chord weighting. The tone is so central to expression and structure. Ariel Lanyu's place in the final was probably assured by a very strong second round, in particular his rendition of the second book of Debussy's Image. Here's some of my notes from his second round. Debussy, very impressive ear for textures, colour and timbre, really able to stop hearing individual notes, incredible technical control, really knows how to give space where needed, perfect rhythmic timing. Scriabin had incredible focus and absorption, even when somebody's phone went off for some length of time. How is it possible to be this relaxed and absorbed under pressure? Really communicates to us what there is to love in this piece, ending full of emotion. Uh, I asked Ariel um, in, in our interview about his experience of playing that Debussy and how he dealt with nerves. In the second round, your Debussy was just superb and everybody in the hall was so blown away by, by the, the Debussy. You seemed so in command, so relaxed, really just able to get every nuance out of the piano. What 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 are your secrets for being so cool and um, under pressure? I I don't know I don't know why people think I was uh, relaxed. I absolutely was was not. Uh, no, I, f I feel I feel quite a lot of pressure. Uh, I'm definitely prone to nerves, so uh, I have. Uh, I hate to say I have no secret. Oh. I'm so sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> So, so to play with that level of nuance and control with nerves, can you give any advice on that? That's a very tough question. Uh, I think, I think what uh, what 
helped me, and I, of course I can only speak for myself, what helped me was uh, first to have experience playing uh, these three pieces that I played in the second round and the same with, with the repertoire that I played in the semifinal. And um, on top of this experience, I think uh, it's important to remind oneself that what matters is not hitting the notes accurately, but conveying the composer to the audience and making sure that the audience knows what you feel about the music. Um, I, I always like uh, reminding myself of the quote by Malcolm Bilson when he said, if, if you go to my concert and you don't like the way I play, that's okay. But if you go to my concert and you don't understand what I feel about the music, that's not okay. Mm. Uh, and that's something I think it's that it's very important to reiterate. Of course, it's uh, much easier said than done, and in my case, it takes a lot of reiteration. But no matter how hard it is to reiterate, I think it is still worth it. And um, for me, at least, it is essential to um, to what I do. Mm. And and in um, an event like this, a competition, do you find that relatively straightforward to keep the your mental emphasis on the the expression the the meaning the the, the composed intention so do you get distracted by technique and wanting to impress um well i the distractions definitely do come but i make a point of reminding myself uh of what matters the most mm-hmm. um i hope successfully um but whether it is easy to do or hard to do, and of course that depends very much on the circumstance, on the time, on the repertoire, uh, I, th- I just cannot think of anything more important, <laughs> quite frankly. Alan Bezenbaev had been one of my favourite pianists right from the very first round, where my notes said, deeply musical, oozing character, drama, narrative and emotion but it was surely his Beethoven Sonata Opus 111 in the second round that won him the entire competition. This was one of these rare, memorable performances that are so transcendent and exceptional that it takes its place in my memory as one of the most treasured musical experiences. The gentleman who was sat next to me actually had to wipe away tears before he could talk to me afterwards. Uh, I'd watched Stephen Osborne, who was on the jury, play the same piece in concert a few years ago. And of course, I deeply enjoyed um, listening to him play it, as he's one of my favourite pianists. But Alim's performance was really, truly a, a, such a profound spiritual experience. In the interview I did with Alim, I asked him about his experience playing this Beethoven. The Beethoven that you played in the second round was unbelievable i was just taken to a completely different realm what was your experience of playing that beethoven did it feel very special to you as you were playing Uh, it's very very kind of you um it is a special piece to me and is is it's becoming it's one of those pieces that you have to mature with it and i've i've been playing it for quite a few many months or maybe over a year now but um, and I've been taking it off and on and off and um, yes you, you always find new things 
in it, but uh, but I think the key element in that piece is is to take somebody to another realm, as you said, and um, yeah, it's a beautiful piano in the hall, and um, the audience is lovely, so I just tried my best, and um, <laughs> and there are things I would have done better to my taste, and but yes. <laughs> Many pianists showed their nerves more as they progressed through the rounds. In fact, most pianists showed their nerves more as they progressed through the rounds. But a couple of pianists seemed to grow more confident and become more musical and expressive as they went through the competition. Elisaveta Kluchereva was one of these, and I made these notes as I watched her second round and semi-final performances, Although here I, I am focusing on the positive elements that I'd written down and leaving out some of the quibbles that I had. So I wrote, Schumann Carnival really suits her. Very powerful playing for such a light frame. Nice exaggerated expressive phrasing. Really embodies contrasting characters. Gives enough space. Makes atmospheric moments of suspense well. Self-assured makes technical difficulties appear effortless. In her stride, she has charisma and a star quality. And then in the semi-finals, I, uh, my notes, some of my notes said, very refined, poised and expressive. Background notes, while staying in the background, are much clearer than other contestants. I like the way she feels harmonic modulations, stronger sense of structure than most others. Fugue in the Frank was magical, with an amazing ability to layer textures with some really stunning tones and timbres. Uh, the Leggetti, La Scalia du Diable, emotionally intense. Unbelievable ability to read while playing. Superb Leggiero, absolutely committed and intense, stunning rendition. So in, in the interview here, Elisaveta talks about her experience of playing that Leggetti. Oh, yes, I remember yesterday you were playing the Leggetti oh. and the, the, what was it, the, the Devil Staircase thing. And you were reading from the music and I was, oh my God, how, how, I, I don't think I've ever seen anyone so impressively perform while reading from music something of that level. What is your advice to, to other people for, to, to get to that level of, of comfort reading? I don't know if it felt comfortable, but, but, but it was amazing. Have you got advice? Well, if you have choice, you should not choose this etudes. <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a new also and um, new step also. It's really interesting. I, I, I read uh, about uh, this etude, Legeti, L'Escalier du Diable. What is uh, going in this etude. So it's really interesting that um, the Ligeti, he went uh, somewhere and there was a, a very big weather, you know, and he was trying to get home probably in this um, bad weather. So, and uh, it's maybe in this etude, like you are going, going up and then you fall down right. every time, you know. And it's, yeah, but it's just... Grandioso etude, you know, yeah. and also etude autumn in Varsovia, and it's, yeah. it's really, I think it's about war, second war, how it was, you know, this feeling. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. that's interesting because I really got the sense from you that you, it was about so much more than just the notes. 
And, and do you find that, that when you are looking for what there is beyond the notes, that it becomes easier to play? Yeah. But yeah. no, it's not easier. <laughs> you made it look <laughs> easy. Well, well that, well, no, no, actually, no, that, that's a bit too far. But, but you looked like you but were But it's in interesting, you know, to learn such pieces. Another pianist who made huge improvements as she progressed through the rounds was Yu Zhang Li. In the second round, I was really impressed with her Beethoven Tempest, a brave choice for something played so often where jurors are going to have really strong opinions. I wrote masterful, beautiful tones, idiosyncratic in places, but she's selling it. Interesting enough interpretation to risk this piece. Amazing control, textures and tones. Uh, in Ravel's Gaspard de la Nuit, I particularly enjoyed her very quiet textures in Le Gibet and sense of space and mood. I wrote, really knows how to listen. Gorgeous tones low on the piano. Definitely unique enough interpretation of these pieces to warrant making another CD of them that I would buy. But I really thought she shone in the semi-finals. Some quotes from my notes in the Schumann. Excellent at the long line. Always a sense we know where we're going. Finally, true large-scale playing. Second movement really moved in places as much as I can be by Schumann, because I have to admit, I'm not actually that big a fan of Schumann. Um, and um, lovely from the heart quality to her playing. Excellent listener, really listens like a composer. Good at directing our ear to where it should go. But then she unfortunately had quite a bad memory lapse near the end of the Schumann. And for a while, it seemed like Yu Shang was doing a heroic job, really heroic, of letting it go and, and just moving on. But although I loved her playing in the next piece, Chopin's Fourth Ballad, which was sublime, I was really enjoying her playing. Um, I'm quite fussy <laughs> with people's playing of that, uh, but but I was it was gorgeous. But you could tell that she was really fighting to not get distracted and lose focus and get annoyed by her me earlier memory lapse, which was really a huge shame. Uh, and then she also made a fantastic partnership with cellist Laura van der Heyden. Um, sorry if I mispronounced her name. Uh, they were two impassioned heart-on-sleeve musicians sharing deep, deep emotional rapport with a real sense of absorption and dedication uh, to the piece. Uh, and again, it was a real shame when the cellist string snapped right near the the end of the, the epic piece, leaving the cellist to heroically continue until the end, playing alternative strings, which was a bit ambitious for a Brahms sonata. <laughs> Somebody said afterwards that it just was not meant to be for Yu Zhang that day. Something that very much surprised me when interviewing the contestants was that nobody seemed to have systemized psychological strategies for dealing with pressure and nerves. This is a topic very close to my heart. It's a strong factor in how I teach. And I'm in the process of writing a book about cutting-edge techniques to maximize the psychology of peak performance in musicians. For example, in the world of sports, it's completely normal and part of the culture to make the most of the copious amount of research that's been done in this area. And there's a huge amount of strategies from the world of sports psychology that musicians can benefit from, especially in the context of a competition. I already asked Ariel how he deals with nerves and pressure in a clip that we heard earlier. But here's what Yushang, Priscilla, Elisaveta and Alim said when I asked them what their strategies were to deal with performance anxiety and pressure. 
Oh, I don't have any strategy because I'm nervous <laughs> on stage. Uh, I'm, I'm obviously not that kind of very experienced performer uh, like those who already had a career and toured a lot and give concert series. I'm not like that kind. So uh, I don't have enough experience, let's say, on stage. So it's always, for me, very, very easy to get nervous on stage. Right. For, for my second round, I remember that my hand was slightly shaking during my playing and I cannot control it. It's, it's just physical reaction. <laughs> but you cannot and, and you notice. And, and you don't have a like psychological sort of set of strategies for what you do when you're in that situation. Well, if I have, I will use it. <laughs> 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 I, How do you deal with the pressure and the, the anxiety of performing, especially with, with, with the pressure of this event? Uh, I don't think there's any particular way. It's just you kind of get get through it and I think for me it helps to remember that this is what I came to do because it's such a huge ordeal traveling and going through all this kind of uh, organizational things that you have to do and days and weeks of preparations and finally when the performance time comes it's good to remember like this is why I'm why I'm here mm. and also not to think like oh I have to pass this test or fulfill a certain expectation but just I have to show myself in the best possible light yeah and whatever happens I did what I came to do so how do you deal with with the nerves and the pressure of this kind of uh, level of competition well I um I probably don't practice a lot before going on stage. I just try to rest and I sleep a lot, <laughs> you know, and it's probably a problem because uh, in, at night after performance, you, you have a lot of energy yeah. also and you can sleep <laughs> at night. So, but it's, uh, I think it's important uh, to go on stage and fresh, even if you play uh, in the evening. Yeah. So you have to be uh, fresh and uh, to play it just maximum what you can do because you have only one chance, you know. You will not play it uh, like for the second time, for third time, it's just one. So yeah. that's that's all what you can do is just now. Yeah, <laughs> and concentrate. And, yeah. And and if you're telling yourself that you only have this one chance, how do you deal with that that mental pressure? Well, I I really try uh, to go and to, to do everything what I can. You know, I, I, I have wonderful teachers who support me. And, um, this is uh, Vladimir Avchinikov, uh, yeah, Boris yeah. Petrushansky, Ari Vardi, and my school teacher, Maxim Zhiriznov. And they all support me and, uh, uh, like tell me relax keep going you know <laughs> just to go and play like a concert yeah. so maybe it helps me just not be nervous because you prepare it you know a lot for this competition you practiced a lot uh, you practice hard and so yeah. nervous is is not good yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you must be under 
huge psychological pressure to do well. Did you feel that? Do you know, at first, it, I am a bit more nervous now than I was before. Um, and as you progress, there, there is, there are more, there is more pressure as, as you progress. But I have a feeling if, if, if I went through the, to the final, I'd, I'd just be over the moon and wouldn't be nervous for the contestant. But <laughs> who knows? I don't know. But, um, so what was your original question again? Um, sort of like, I, I think so it was sort of about, um, pressure. really wanting to win and, and dealing with the pressure. Yeah. I wouldn't put winning as my main goal. In fact, I think the, the best thing about being here is being able to play everything you've prepared. And um, to an audience like this, after, especially after you know all this COVID stuff and yeah. um, not being able to play in public has been horrible for some artists that play constantly. And you know they basically stage as their life and. And I feel that um, uh, performing, performing is a big part of my life too. So, um, yes, my main goal here is to give it my all <laughs> yeah. to, the, to the audience. Yeah. Are, are there particular things that you do, not just in this competition, but, but in general? Are, are there particular things that you do that help you to deal with nerves and pressure? It's very difficult. Um, I think I'm I'm quite lucky to be a, a pretty calm person, <laughs> so I think I managed to to stay in control and um, even though well you know making sure to breathing to to do breathing and drinking lots of water. When you say breathing, is that as you're playing or before you play? Um, as you're playing is very important, but I I meant um, uh-huh. before you play too. Yeah. As I've already mentioned a few times, I was disappointed in this year's crop of competitors' general ability to convey large-scale structure and communicate harmonic tension and release. There were only very few contestants who seemed to have focused on this in their practice. I was musing all the way through the competition on the various reasons why this may have been the case. Here are a few suggestions that I came up with, but do let me know your opinions. So... As teachers increasingly focus on the importance of creating beautiful tone, maybe the structural and harmonic aspects suffer? Or maybe with so many important piano competitions all happening at the same time in this same year, um, 2021, the sheer amount of repertoire to have ready under the fingers for the leads perhaps makes it difficult to really focus on the large-scale structure, as well as having all the notes and individual sections of each piece ready to perform. Or maybe because of the lack of performing opportunities under COVID restrictions, people are now more nervous performing than usual, which affects being able to focus on large-scale structure and harmonic awareness under pressure. So just some ideas, just some possible suggestions. But also, it's interesting just how few genuinely large-scale pieces, such as sonatas, were chosen by virtually all the competitors from the second round of the competition. When the requirements from the second round said to include one substantial work 
or groups of works by a major composer, I felt this year that we were relentlessly overwhelmed by collections of short pieces by Schumann to cover up a lack of a lack of ability to cohesively communicate long structure and architecture in favor of indulging in individual moments with beautiful tone. Uh, I spoke to Yu Zhang uh, in the interview that we did about this issue and about how much I enjoyed her ability to communicate structure and harmony. People can be very different because, for example, the same harmonic progression, some people can feel that it's very intense. Some people just didn't feel that much. They know it's intense. Uh, everybody knows that harmonic progression it should be like that, in that shape. But the extent that you do it, that you express yourself into, that you express um, the, your feeling through this progression, yes, it's different. <clears throat> this to me is is really one of the defining things about why I thought that that, that I was really drawn to to your playing um, over most okay. other people, which is that that what you were describing. I really did feel that there was a, a, a real problem um, in, in most people this year. And, and, and actually, you know, when I was listening to all the first round of the Chopin as well, this is something I'm, I'm hearing a lot in, in young pianists, where what you were describing, that sense of really feeling harmonic progressions, I feel like most people are just not doing this at the moment. And I get the feeling that when you are playing, you feel, you feel the harmonic progressions. So, so it's, uh, I think that's quite interesting. Is that something that, that do you think maybe, uh, is, is not being taught? Is it a thing that can be taught? Is it something that you're noticing that most other people don't have? Um, what, what do you think? Yeah, I, obviously I noticed that because um, when I hear other people playing, especially the same piece that I played, um, mm. I can feel the difference between me and the other people, the other person. And um, mm. I think they it's not that they didn't feel it, but they didn't concentrate um, on um, the, the difference. Sometimes feel, feeling something and knowing something can be very confused. Some people yeah. might know that this this should be the shape, this sh this should be the character, but they might not, not really generally feel it. Yeah, I I can I can totally relate if that's the case because um, for me sometimes I make mistakes. Uh, sometimes when I'm practicing, I know this. This harmonic progression should be in this shape, should be like this. I know it, but during my practice, I didn't pay full attention. I didn't listen very, very carefully to to this little nuances and all those swift and changes uh, in the, those harmonic chords. Um, then I would play totally different. I would play the same shape. But but that kind of feeling is it's different. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, totally. Yeah. And you gave it space, and I think this was something that was really missing. And not not just me said this; a lot of people said this. That that there were that a lot of people were just not giving space to the moments that needed space. And I think that comes from feeling those those harmonic moments. Especially when you feel that that this this part should be a, a space. Um, Part of because you you think you need to take a 
take a little time for this court. Another reason is that、um, I feel that people, including me in the audience, have to、um, take time to really recognize what just happened, and that's why I like Charlie Bidacci so much.、Mm-hmm. You know the conductor. Yeah, he yeah, yeah. plays every piece so slowly, <laughs> which everybody criticized about this. But I can sometimes I can understand why he insisted on that tempo, because in that tempo he he actually explained why he plays so slowly in some parts. That he、mm-hmm. said, if you play too fast,、um, people just literally hear、um, the notes, but they didn't. Feel the notes, the the connection between one to another.、Uh, yes, and then they have to take time to understand what happened,、uh, including the audience and including the performers. It's the same for both. So, do you think maybe this is something that isn't being taught well enough? Oh, here's another theory. Is this something to do with people spending so much time in COVID lockdown, and it's something to do with being? On your own for for so long, for most people, is sort of shifting the things that they're paying attention to. Oh, I think, <laughs> of course, it's.、Um, I think it's because people learn things in different ways.、Um, I learn things. I I view things in my way. This is my explanation.、Mm-hmm. But other people, they don't.、Um, they they're not in this system. They in a completely different system.、Um, for example, they might focus on more of other things than these little tiny details of of the piece. So, and, so it's、um, not the teaching; it's more where what they choose to take from the teaching. Yes,、um, obviously, teachers are the same, but the students are different. After all,、yeah. you you have one lesson or two with a teacher and spend rest of the time practicing in your home or room.、Mm. Yeah. So I could say so much more about the competition, but I think I've gone through the most essential points that I wanted to cover. So I'd like to thank the competition organizers and staff for their generosity, time, and help, and also want to thank everybody who gave me their valuable time for interviews. Um, so I'm sorry that that I only had time to include、um, limited things from everybody's interviews, but I am going to try and upload to this podcast some of the complete interviews of the pianists,、um, including the pianist、um, Alim,、uh, who who won the, the the whole competition, and also the longer interview that I did with Yu Zhangli after the competition was over. Show notes for all the episodes, including this episode, are available at the website for the podcast, which can be found at www.heartofthepiano.com/podcast. And、um, it takes a huge, huge amount of time to put one of these podcast episodes together,、uh, especially this one, which required a huge amount of editing. So my apologies that this has taken me、um, quite a bit of time. Since the end of the competition, to to make this live.、Um, anyhow, if you'd like to show your appreciation for all this work, please do review, 
like and comment on your podcast platform of choice, which does help me to feel that all the time invested was worth it and also helps to make the podcast more visible to other people who might enjoy it. So thank you so much for listening and see you at the next episode. <laughs>